depending on who was driving our car last, will be the radio station that you hear when you turn the ignition on. And Annabeth and I have quite widely divergent tastes. I listen to classical music. Annabeth listens to new country. I don't know, you might not have thought that of her, but she does. And I listen to country a little bit with her. I mean, I appreciate the insightful lyrics and, and the religious themes, right? They're always there. But there was a song um, for the last few months that has kept coming up by Blake Shelton, and the words go like this. When I die, I want to come back as a country boy because there ain't no better life, if you ask me. If my neck don't come out red, then Lord, please leave me dead because a country boy is all I want to be. No confusion left about what this person's life is all about. Country bow. It's all I want to be. If, if, leave me dead if I don't come out with a redneck. I just want to be a country boy. So that's the person's shtick. That's the person's persona. That's who this person is. And I want to ask you this morning who you are. What's the thing that uh, you're known for? What's the thing that you cherish? What's the thing that you would like people to talk about when they talk about you? Um, what is it that immediately comes to your mind when you think about your own life? And what do you think comes to the minds of other people as they think about your life? And probably all of us could just see those little cloud thoughts sort of float up and think, yeah, I think I know what it is that is me. This is what I want to be known for. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. This is me. This is, you know, my profile. Um, I want to talk about the importance of identifying what that is in our lives. Um, the way that that will organize our lives and give purpose to our lives when we're able to securely grab on to the thing that is the one thing that we hold on to, the one thing that we would like to be identified as, the one thing that we would like to value and cherish and, and shape our lives around. Mary told the story very, very well about what happened um, not very long after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So through this little short series, we're going to have an adventure with the apostles um, as we follow the, um, the prayer book and the readings that are assigned in the lectionary. So if you've grown up with that sort of thing, we're going to just hear there and through the book of Acts um, to the accounts of what were the events of the lives of the apostles after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We'll end all of this. It sort of feels like going backwards, but we'll end this series on Pentecost Sunday and remember that that was what fueled everything that went on through this uh, marvelous adventure of following Jesus. So as, as Mary said, here are these disciples. They're in jail, um, and you know they're warned, they're threatened, 
Um, they come out of jail, then an angel shows up. Like, how weird is that, that an angel shows up inside the jail, and here are the apostles, Peter and John and others, and they sort of say, oh, it's an angel. Yeah, we're good with that, right? Imagine an angel, you're in prison um, for doing what you think you're called to do, and an angel comes in and says, come on, guys, let's go out. The guards don't even see you go. They presume you're still inside the jail. And you go back to doing what you were forbidden to do um, because something has entirely changed your life, your meaning. Remember who these guys were. It wasn't very long ago that we saw them running away when Jesus was, was taken captive in the garden and led, led to the awful events of Calvary. Um, even Peter, the guy who said he would never forsake Jesus, he followed him at, at a safe distance. And as Jesus had predicted, they all forsook him. Now, these guys are willing to go to jail, um, and they're willing to defy the very people that they understand to be the reason that Jesus was crucified. And they're even willing to, to talk back to these people. And they are the ones who hold the power. And yet these apostles talk back and they say, you took him and you crucified him. And he is God and our savior. So you can tell us if you want that we're not allowed to preach in his name, but we should obey God rather than man. And that, that really is that, the key verse. What a powerful declaration that they make and say, well, it's all sorted out for us. We're going to obey God instead of people. We don't have to think about that decision. Whatever God tells us to do, we will do. Whatever people tell us to do, we will consider whether it's also what God wants us to do. So what is the thing? And you know this is church. Um, we're talking about being Christians, so you know I'm, I'm, I'm not hiding anything about what the thing is that I think needs to mark our lives. But I do want to ask the question this morning, does it really shape our lives? Uh, our understanding that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he is alive, does that change my life? Does it change your life, or, or th- does it change the things that sort of um, inhabit your life, and to what degree. For these guys, they were willing to give up everything, and many of them were martyred, Um, many of them were imprisoned, many of them were flogged. That's the word Mary didn't want to use. That's what happened to them. They beat them within an inch of their lives and said, do not preach in this name any longer. And they said, do what you want, say what you will. Um, we have to obey God. It's, it's all sorted for us. So as we think about this, um, there are just some observations that I would make about um, being sure about the thing that is the shaping force of my life. And this could be applied no matter what that shaping force would be. And of course, we want to appeal to us all to let that shaping force be a a fixed, confirmed commitment to the resurrection of Jesus. 
not only to his life, not even only to his teachings, not only even to his miracles, but to his actual physical resurrection and the fact that he is now alive. Now he is alive. And we want to ask, does that shape our lives? The first thing that, that I observe about this is that it, it transfigures how I inhabit the world. I, I came across that phrase in a journal this week, and it just arrested my attention. You, know, we, you, you could say this in a different way, but just think about these words. The core belief of my life, the driving force of my life, the key identi identifier or identity of my life will transfigure how I inhabit the world. It'll transfigure. That means it'll, it'll change thoroughly the way that I live in this world. Um, we, we have come uh, from a very Greek kind of a philosophical background um, where we have you know, spirit and flesh, we have, um, you know, the material and the immaterial, and, and we easily become binary people and have one thing in one place and another thing in the other place. It's very easy for my life to become a binary life where there's the spiritual me or the religious me or the faith me, and then there's the rest of life, the ordinary life, the ordinary things that happen in the world. If I am fixed on this core belief, this core drive, it will inhabit everything by which I am in this world. It will transfigure every way that I consider who I am, what I do, what I don't do, as I view myself as someone who is inhabiting this world. Second thing is it predicts my adventure. Um, we're calling this whole series The Adventure Begins. And a lovely way to express what happened after the day of Pentecost was that there was a phenomenal adventure. Um, Paul's adventures were staggering. I mean, he, he thought that he was a successful Pharisee at the beginning and was, you know, dogged in his pursuit of Christians, you know, putting them in jail. But after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road... His life became an epic adventure. And whatever is that shaping force, the adventure of my life will be predicted in that force, in, in that commitment. Um, over the years, I've had wonderful opportunities um, to watch people um, living into the adventure that was, that was triggered by their radical discipleship of Jesus, their radical uh, followership of Jesus. For many years, there were a few of us went to Uganda twice a year, and we were teaching uh, pastors from uh, the banks of, of the River Nile. Um, they, they were uneducated men, um, but they were incredibly wise in their discerning of what God's word was saying to them. And every time we went back, we would have what Africans often call les nouvelles. What's the news? What, what are the things that have happened since the last time we were here? And I remember one time when we were back, two um, reports were brought to the table. There were about 40 other pastors from, from these rural churches, so to speak. They were just 
huts or maybe even just a grassy place. And the first one who spoke said, um, well, we went to Rwanda. And my friend who was with me said, what were you doing going to Rwanda? You, we're not even finished teaching you yet. Why did you go to Rwanda? He said, well, you came from another country here, so we felt like we should go to a different country from here. That made sense to us. Well, my friend said, so what happened? Well, they said, um, there were hundreds of people converted to Jesus. And the rest of the room uh, did this African sort of mm, noise that you can hear mouncing. And my friend said, tell us what happened. And they had, they had traveled, two of them, to Rwanda and began to preach the gospel. And hundreds and hundreds of people came to Christ. The climax of it was that there were hundreds of boy soldiers who came to follow Jesus and to give their weapons back to these two missionaries from Uganda. Uh, they said, we didn't know what to do with them. They were bringing machine guns and knives. And, and when they heard that Jesus could forgive them, they were broken, these boys, because they had actually been taught that until they could kill somebody, they weren't going to have any breakfast. It was such an ugly time and place. And our friends, as everybody sat, you know, gaping at them, they said, well, that's what happened. Why, why did that happen? It happened because these young guys, who didn't know any better, went and preached the gospel in another country. The second report that came in that time back was another fellow across the table at the corner said, well, um, God raised a, a little 14-year-old boy to life for me. And again, the noise of, mm, that was sort of, what? What are you talking about? And this fellow said, I have two friends with me who will tell you that that did happen. They came upon a boy who had been hit by a dump truck in the uh, streets of Jinja, just away from where they were. And our friend here said, God told me to go and raise him to life. Now, I'm miracle adverse. You may not know that, but I, am, I live in my left brain. I get upset when God does things that aren't Baptist sorts of things. So first person that we prayed for in a Baptist church who got healed after Annabeth and I prayed for her, she came back a week later and said, I was healed. And I smiled, and inside I said, no, you weren't, <laughs> because it was me that prayed for you. And I didn't believe you'd be healed, but she was. So when this guy said he had raised someone to life, I was going like, oh, here we go again. And he told the story how that he had picked a boy up. Um, the boy left dead on the road, and the boy had no vital signs. He took him to the hospital in Jinja. And at the hospital, they said, don't bring the dead thing in here. But he said, God told me to bring the boy in. And he brought him in, and he laid him on a gurney, and he breathed into his mouth. And the boy began to breathe. Why? Because these people took seriously that Jesus is alive and that miracles happen when God is advancing his kingdom. So get ready for an adventure. 
And the the size of the adventure and, and the very nature of the adventure will be, be be predicted by the thing that is really at the core of who you are. And so if you want a lackluster adventure, have a lackluster commitment in your life. Just be ordinary. Just do what's expected. Um, just live, work, make money, get married, buy a house, buy a dog, don't buy a cat. I know where that comes from. It's, it's a little demon that keeps them whispering in the back of my head. This cats, this cats. It empowers my life. And when we understand, and, and when we can reckon with this reality that Jesus is alive, we understand then that we have been given the very life of God in us, his spirit. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, and our lives should be and can be empowered by his presence. And I, I've confessed to you, I, I am power adverse in this sense. I would, I would rather have a Christian life that I understand. I would rather have a Christian life that I can explain. I don't like when it's out of control. And yet at one point in my life, God got a hold of me and said, either you comply with what I want to do or get out of my way. And I thought, well, I don't want to get out of God's way. I think that would be a bad place to be. And I remember actually submitting to him and saying, okay, yeah, your way. Um, there was this season of time when God was healing people. Usually they were people of a different faith. They were sick people or they were uh, Muslim people. And the, the matter of the gospel and salvation in some of those religions and cultures is a, is a power matter. For, for most of us Westerners, it's a matter of guilt and forgiveness. But in many cultures of the world, it's, it's a matter of power. Um, there are spirit powers all around. And so a person in that kind of a worldview doesn't wonder whether or not Christianity is true. They wonder whether or not it works. And when God shows up in a powerful way, um, it is his announcement that the gospel works. And sometimes God will do that in miraculous ways, and it's kind of fun when he does after you pick yourself up and say, okay, what just happened? What just happened here? It empowers your life. It organizes your priorities. You know, you sit down with your to-do list, and depending on what that driving core is will be the way that your priorities are sorted. What will I do? What will I not do? Um, quite importantly, what will I not do? If this is the driving force of my life, is this, if this is what I am and who I am, what will I do and what will I not do? What, what will I do tomorrow? What will I not do tomorrow? Because this is at the core of my life. It will anticipate the effect that I have as I inhabit my world. Um, the degree to which God will make us effective people will be the degree to which we live in that drive of the resurrected Jesus at the core of our lives. Um, what God wants to do through us will be multifaceted 
but it all issues from this core in our lives when we say, this I believe, this I hold on to relentlessly, um, and I expect that the effect of my life will be a gospel effect, will be a, a powerful effect of the presence of Jesus in my life and in our lives together. Several years ago, um, there was a, a church in Vancouver where we were. The, our church was in a little part of Vancouver called Holy Hill. It was, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek appellation because it wasn't a very holy place anymore. It was a place where there was a lot of street crime, um, a lot of prostitution. We put floodlights up, um, and we got thank you notes. Such was the character of this place. Um, thank you notes for giving light to us, doing our job was what was going on. Um, a, a new pastor arrived at one of the churches on Holy Hill, just around the corner from the church where I was. His name was Ken. And the churches in the area had become fairly staid and old and decrepit, and they had had a lot of the suburban flight that many churches left or many people left the churches downtown for the suburban churches where they were now living in their, their homes in, in the suburbs. Um, so w when Ken arrived at the church, he had a look around at the things that they were doing. And he had a meeting with his uh, board. And he said, I think we have to change things around here. And they said, well, yeah, and that's why we brought you, a young pastor. We, we know we need to change. And he said, I think we need drums. Well, that wasn't the kind of change that they hoped Ken would bring. Uh, and, and they tried to caution him and said, well, you know, drums, um, some of us think drums are, um, you know, they're a little devilish or something. We, 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 we don't think that this church needs drums. And he says, yeah, I'm pretty sure we need drums. And guitars. We're going to have to get some guitars. Um, you might have to let the organist go because I, I want drums and guitars. And that week, he brought guitars and drums to the church building, put them on the stage. An old deacon arrived early for church the following Sunday. He literally walked in the door, down the center aisle, looked up at the drums and guitars, and said, if Jesus was alive today, he'd roll over in his grave. Very, very telling observance, right? Because guess what? Jesus is alive. Not just conceptually, not just idealistically, not just religiously, but he is actually alive. Does that matter to me? Uh, God intends to soak that truth into my life. He's going to move me, shake me, um, adjust me, allow things into my experience, bring people into my orbit with the express intent of my discovering that the thing that really must matter for me is that Jesus is alive. That when this short life is over, it goes on and on and on and on. And everything I do in this life should issue from the core identity 
of my being a believer in a resurrected Jesus. So last Easter Sunday, when we said the Lord is alive, or the Lord is risen, we say, indeed the Lord is risen. Jesus is alive today. He is here. He is in you by his Holy Spirit. He is with us as his people. And he wants us to come along with him and say, I had some guys way back. They were willing to go to jail. Um, They were willing to say that it didn't matter what the human authority said to them. They were going to obey God. How about you? When it comes down to it, is that really what is at the center of your life? Or is there something else that you need to nudge out of the way to follow Jesus completely on an adventure?